Hey, what's up? It's your boy, Corey Deanna Lewis, founder of The Healthy Project and host of The Healthy Project Podcast. My mission is to bring awareness to health and wellness concerns that are impacting our communities. On this podcast, you'll learn strategies to improve your health from health professionals from around the world that are trying to make an impact in people's lives. Enjoy. Hello, everybody, and thank you for listening to the Healthy Project Podcast. I am your host, Corey Dion Lewis. I have a great guest in the building today, physical therapist, Pat Ford. Pat, Dr. Pat, Dr. Ford, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it. Yeah, uh, ever since I met you, I was really excited to to try and be a part of this. So I'm really just happy that that you invited me. So thanks. Yeah, man. And you know, what what I'm really excited about also is not only are you a physical therapist, which is is a, is a great thing to be as far as, you know, as one of the professions being kind of on the front lines of helping people get back to their health. You're more than just a physical therapist. Like you, you do more that you social determinants of health, which we'll definitely talk about today, you know, health disparities with especially, you know, working with people of color. So those, those are things I'm really, really excited about um, and getting the audience you know, to listen to and, and get some value from. So I, I'm, I'm super excited to get uh, your, your knowledge and kind of get your, what, which, how you feel just from your experience and seeing where we can go from here. So yeah, yeah, before well, we, yeah sorry, man. <laughs> no, it's good. I, I just hope like I, I have something that can help a, a few people out. Um, I've learned so much from others. So I, I really, really uh, welcome this opportunity. Absolutely. You know, before we get into it, man, tell us, you know, um, a little bit about yourself, you know, how you started and, and how you got to what you're doing today. Yeah, for sure. Uh, well, like you said, my name is Patrick Ford. I grew up in the suburbs of Chicago, um, small suburb, uh, called Mount prospect, small comparative to, to, I guess, some others. And, uh, I went to school at Iowa state university, got my bachelor's degree in kinesiology and health um, with a focus on physical therapy and ended up going to physical therapy school at Creighton University, which is in Omaha. From there, I graduated 2018 and wanted to move back to central Iowa to be with my wife and for us to kind of start our life here and found a, a good paying job with doing what I want to do. And I've been practicing PT for the past uh, three years. Awesome, man. Awesome. So yeah. with, with your experience working, you know, with physical, with physical therapy, you know, how does, you know, the, the, how does the, the people that you work with, do you work with a lot of patients that are, you know, kind of affected by social determinants of health or how did your passion for, you know, health disparities and, you know, focusing on social determinants of health, how did that come along through your physical therapy practice? Yeah. So to answer your first question, to be honest, not as much, not as much uh, as far as working with people that deal with more of the social determinants of health that might negatively affect them. I think people definitely, everybody has components of the social determinants, and we can kind of list some of those off here. Um, everybody has those qualities. It is whether or not it gives them an opportunity to mm. achieve a greater health status, right? You're looking at economic situation, their education level or their access to education around health, uh, the neighborhoods that they live in, their healthcare access, if they have health insurance, all that type of stuff, um, and their social environment. So people have components. Everybody has those components in their life. It's just a matter of like 
which one of those, how do they stack up in each one of those sections? And how does that give them either opportunity to live a healthy life or maybe kind of negate them from having that access and maybe put them more on the negative where, where it's more of a struggle for them to, to achieve that. And for me, I work in a couple different areas. I've worked kind of all over central Iowa for my company. And I've seen it more in other places where people maybe struggle more economically or their education level um, is a little bit less. But right now I work downtown in Des Moines, just down the street from Wells Fargo, which Mm. if you don't know Des Moines, that's kind of like the good part of Des Moines. Downtown's pretty clean and there's a lot of well-to-do people in that area. I also work in Waukee, which is a growing neighborhood. It's kind of that West side of Des Moines. And if you, again, if you know anything about Des Moines, the further you go West, the bigger the houses get. So (laughs) um, I don't see a lot of people that struggle to live a healthy life. And I think actually that's part of the passion for me to do the work that I'm doing with the nonprofit. And we could talk a little bit later about that. The thing that got me into this type of work and this type of research, as far as the stuff that I've looked up and stuff that I've learned more about this, was really the murder of George Floyd. Last year, it just hit it hit everybody a little differently, just because I think it was so visceral for all of us to experience. And we all just really didn't have a choice but to absorb that experience. Um, But for me, as you know, I I have my daughter. She was, was turning one around the time, and I saw myself more as a father, and I just identified a little bit more strongly with the situation, and I felt like I needed to do something. It's always been a part of my values to respect my African American heritage, and I'm I consider myself as a biracial black person. My mom is white. My dad was black before he passed away, so I come from a biracial background. I've always wanted to do more and this was my opportunity. And I was like, well, I don't know anything about social justice as a reason in regards to criminal law and police brutality and all of these other things. But I do know about health. I know about health. I know about fitness. Those are the things that I learned about that I'm really good at. So I was like, okay, I'm going to just learn about that because I know racism is everywhere and I know right. it's affected everything. So I'm going to figure out how it's affected healthcare and the people that look like me. Um, So really, that was kind of the spark for me to start researching it. And it kind of confirmed everything that I was fearful of. And kind of along those lines, I wanted to see what other Black therapists existed in the area that I can start kind of networking with, that I can start talking to about their experience in Iowa and see if there's reflected my own. I'm not even kidding. I probably researched hundreds of therapists and I did not find a single black physical therapist in Iowa. Not saying I've seen, I've seen every single person that practices in Iowa, but I'm still waiting for somebody to reach out to me because I've looked from Des Moines, Iowa city, Cedar Rapids, Davenport, uh, council bluffs. Like I've looked everywhere, man, and I cannot find anyone. So if that's not enough of a motivation to try and change that, um, I don't really know what it is. So yeah, that, that that's a whole lot. So out, outside of being solo in, in these physical therapy streets, <laughs> you know what I mean? What are some uh what are some of the biggest needs th- through your research? Uh, yeah. everything that that you've been looking into, what are some of the biggest needs that you see in the in the medical we talk about the medical community and just in, in the community in general? Yeah. 
I think I'd like to start by going back to the social determinants of health because that is a big deal. Um, and I, we can use Des Moines as kind of a little sample size for ourselves. And if you guys aren't from Iowa, you probably already have, you know, that your own bias of what Iowa looks like. And I promise you, it's like almost 100% correct. Like, there's not a lot of black people here. Right. Like, but, but there is a community of black, brown, and other people, especially in the Des Moines area. And I researched some of the stuff, some of the social determinants, and I, I started looking at economics. And, and if you look at the economics of the average family in Des Moines, um, the average family, I think, makes around fifty to $60,000 as a family household. That's considering every single person. And then if you look at African-Americans specifically, I think it's maybe fifteen dollars to $20,000 less per year for the household, which is a substantial amount of money. Like you are talking about the difference between working one and two jobs. And when a parent has to work two jobs or you have to now rely on the younger members of your family to contribute to your household, it makes a big deal on what you're going to prioritize as far as spending your money. It's like rent, gas, electricity, food, and then like, that's what you're going to do. And right. if you're working your life away, like you're also going to try and do things to kind of just treat yourself as well. So if we're looking economically and we just look at family income, that huge gap, almost what, 33% less income per year, that's a huge, huge deal. If people can't afford their health, they can't live healthy lives. If they can't afford the type of nutrition counseling or the healthcare that they need or having a fitness membership or finding a coach that can help them move through these different situations and live a healthy, active life, then they're set off at a disadvantage. And that's just one component. And that we're not even looking at net worth either. If you look at net worth, what net worth of the things that people actually own and the value of that stuff, the gap gets even larger. Economically, there's a there's a big disparity in the central Iowa area. And then you can look down at like neighborhoods. So what I did was I looked at the demographical distribution of Des Moines and greater Des Moines area, kind of West Des Moines. And basically they kind of charted it as different shades of like yellow to red. Red is higher density of that population. Yellow to white is like there's a less density of that population. But when you look at it, and I my bias is to look at black people and white people, see mm -hmm. what they're doing, right? Right. And you can see just in that kind of pocket of North Des Moines, right along the river, if you look at the population of black people in that area, there's a big old red spot right in that area. It's maybe three square miles, two square miles, uh, where the largest density of Black people live. Okay? All around that, it gets more faded out, more faded right. out. And then if you look at the population of white people, it's the exact inverse of that. The exact inverse. And that's just wow. like a fact. I showed that to somebody who lived in Des Moines for a long time in this area. And he's like, yeah, that hasn't changed in 50 years. And again, we're always seeing like, okay, well, this kind of uh, separation of these tribes is uh, has been present and probably ha has been there for a long time on purpose. And then you start looking at the actual healthcare that's located in those areas. And there is one hospital within that dark spot that all the black people live 
that they have the closest access to. Okay. And that hospital, and I'm not saying Google is the ultimate tool to determine if something is high quality or not, right. but that hospital has less than three out of five star rating for the quality of care that they give from the perspective of the people that have rated it. If you go further out and you know Des Moines, the further you get out uh, toward the west side of Des Moines and West Des Moines, Clive, Urbandale, you're going to see more specialty care. So if you're, all of your specialists are out in the west side and you don't have access because you're only making $35,000 a year, you only have one car for your family, the local transportation system sucks, you can't get out mm-hmm. there, what are you supposed to do? And we haven't even talked about trust in the healthcare system. So you're seeing now the geographic location, the economics are all placing, playing into this. And now I kind of want to get into the piece where the social environment plays into it too. And this is kind of on the culture as well. And, and this is what the research shows from people's perspective, Black Americans' perspective in their culture, that there is kind of more of like a, a culture where you can't show weakness, right? Mm-hmm. Like you can't go to the doctor, like, because you're fine. Like you have to be in, in with males and like, you have to be the man. Right. Like you have, you can't show weakness. Going to the doctor saying you're sick is showing weakness. If you got hurt, you can't go, right? dust it right. off and, and get it done. And I'm not saying everybody's like that, but that is a trend that can happen in Black communities that I think can stop us from accessing those services when we need them, okay? And then you can look at your support from like your family and their surrounding community for like, okay, well, even if I am sick, there's a greater need somewhere else in my life. I'm not going to address my health before I address this other thing. So I'm just going to let it kind of go away. So it's not even just like being masculine or anything like that. It's like, my priority is that I need to go to work because I need to make money. And Mm -hmm. even though I'm hurting or I'm sick or whatever, I'm going to work. I'm not going to the doctor. And if I do go to the doctor, it's going to be a short visit because I need to be in and out. Right. Right. So like that. And then the last thing, which kind of moves away from the social determinants is representation. And we just talked about this with physical therapists in Iowa, yeah, lack of people of color, specifically black people in the healthcare field is one of, I think, the large reasons why the disparity continues to exist. Yeah. I, um, I looked into this. This was a few, a few days ago and I knew I was going to be having this conversation with you. And I like, how many, I wonder how many primary care, black primary care providers there are in Des Moines. I think I found one out of all of Iowa, I only found one African-American male who was a primary care provider, someone that you went to for your yearly checkup yep. or whatever. That's, that, I mean, I would, I shouldn't be excited that I found just, just one, you, you know what I, you know what I mean? That that's, that is, that's not, that's not enough, but it's, yeah, and even, even though I get it, you no, know, we're, we're in Iowa. Like it's, it's, it's not like we're in Atlanta where there, you know, you can, you know, walk down the street and bump into a, you know, a primary care provider. It, it, it was just so interesting to me that we, there, there is this mistrust in, in healthcare and I, and I've seen it, you know, I've spoke with patients who didn't want to follow up on preventative services because if I go to the hospital, then I'll be sick or, you know, that, that kind of mentality, you only, you only wonder if they had somebody that looked like them, that was a provider. Right. Like, you know, me being a health coach and being able to try to talk them through to it, that's, that's only so much I can do because, you know, a lot of 
older patients or you know, older healthcare consumers, they only listen to the doctor. They want to see the doctor. They don't care about the nurse. They don't care about nothing else. Where's the doctor at? So you, you only, I only can imagine if, you know, this person that I'm trying to reach out to, to come in for preventative services um, was actually able to see a doctor that looked like them, would the outcome be different? You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I'm glad you did that research. I think you probably felt similar to me. You could tell me if you did it. When I started my research, I was really excited. Like I'm going to find somebody else and it's going to be awesome because now I can connect somebody that shares literally <laughs> the crazy <laughs> unique experience that I have. And I apparently solely have in Iowa. And the longer I searched and the less and less that came back, the more and more upset I was getting about it. And I was actually getting like visually upset like i would go into work and be not a happy person (laughs) like and it just like kept hitting me and just like you said like i found the one and like i'm kind of excited but also like really sad about that and it's kind of crazy and i've looked into kind of black providers as well and and really you only see like specialists there's a couple like neurosurgeons some er guys yeah you know you know we we have some some dentists and you know Mm -hmm. things like that but i was specifically looking for if i if yeah. I had a cough and I wanted to go see my doc doctor, was there a primary care provider that looked like me? Yeah. And my mess up was I found them the first try. Like I went to the first <laughs> hospital. I was like, oh, bet. Yeah. And then it just it was just downhill from from what hospital? Life. It was at Mercy. Okay. So clinic on the east side. This plays into another good part of why there's an issue. If you look at where healthcare providers go to work and you look at healthcare shortage areas mm-hmm. um, where there's basically, they kind of like talk about this with um, food deserts. It's similar with healthcare yep. providers that there's a, basically a desert of resources in that area. The providers that are more likely to go into these neighborhoods where there's more black people are other black providers. So it's like now we're making our providers work in these areas because they feel maybe obligated and they feel like a passion mm-hmm. to work with people that look like them because they want to get them service service. But also the pay really isn't there for those areas. There's some situations where you can get maybe a little bit more, but they're probably potentially taking a cut in pay because the infrastructure of that area isn't as sound because the city hasn't cared as much about it. Right. Um, so now, now you're looking at, well, yeah, maybe I do have a black doctor, but it's at the only hospital, the only clinic that's in our area. And if I wanted to go see a black provider, now somebody can't even research it. Like I ask you to go find a white provider or even let's say white female and be a little bit more specific so that we can hit another demographic. You can find one in 10 seconds, right? Like not, no joke. If I asked you for a black provider, like just like we ran into, if you didn't know the area, you're going to spend some time and then you're going to basically either say, well, I don't care. I'm just not going to see one if it's not black or you have to go to somebody that you're not really comfortable seeing. Right. So that's yep. a big issue. Yep. And so, and, and that's the issue a lot of people have, you know, here, you know, in, in our area. So my next question is, you know, given that if you're a person of color, more than likely your provider is going to be white. How can we, or how do you feel that we can get, you know, bring confidence back into the uh, the healthcare consumer? Like, what what are some things that we can do to, you know, people can feel more confident and comfortable going to the doctor? Well, we need to be better. We need to be better healthcare providers. Um, 
and I, I hate to keep kind of saying like, let's go back to the research, but truly they've done research on implicit bias in care and provider bias and how these things are set up and what us as clinicians bring into those spaces. And they found that everyone comes with some bias and it's typically a bias against darker skin color and a bias toward white providers or white demographic. Um, and sometimes that's brought into the actual care that they provide. Um, not so much into like, so they did like research with uh, hypertension, patients that have hypertension or high blood pressure. And um, in the real life scenarios, the doctor, despite any bias that they had, still prescribed similar medication. Okay. But what they found was that their interaction was deemed more dominant when they're interacting with a black person. So a white doctor interacting with a black person, they took up more time over the conversation and they kind of just basically didn't give the person uh, input into their plan of care, what would make them better. So now you're kind of still playing onto this long history of like, I just have to listen to you because that's what we've been trained to do forever. And that doesn't yield better outcomes. I've tried that strategy with clients, like you're doing this program, like this is what I'm giving to you. Like, I don't really care about your opinion and how this is going to work out because these exercises are the best. And guess what? Those people don't do those exercises and those people don't follow through. They don't come back. So I think a big part is us recognizing those biases, you know, actually doing tests to see where our biases exist and doing training and expanding our experiences so that we can negate those biases. And again, they they looked at nurses that work with amputees and people that end up being wheelchair bound. And these nurses that had biases prior to work with, with this group of people, that bias was eliminated just by them interacting more frequently with this unique group of people that they had to now service. Mm. That they're like, I have experience seeing what this person is going through. And now I can have more empathy for what they have to experience instead of saying, well, like somebody in the wheelchair that maybe doesn't even look like they have a reason to be in one. Maybe they're just like, yeah, they're just like lazy or they're not really hurt or blah, blah, blah. But now you have one-on-one experience seeing what this person is going through. You've had discussions with them. You understand how hard it is to navigate all the visits that they have to go through, maybe the medication they're taking, how hard it is to do wheelchair ambulation and transfers and all this other stuff you have to do. So even simply by doing purposeful interactions with the group of people that you have less experience with can change those things as well as doing personally catered coaching or education surrounding these topics. I think, I think it falls on us as providers um, to gain their trust by diminishing our bias. Right. Right. That's, that's good. Do you think that, you know, when when we're talking about diminishing bias, is this something that should be also taught at the education level where, you know, when, when you're in physical therapy school or when you're in med school, like I, I'm curious, is, is this something that's already being taught at that level? Or is it something that's just kind of pushed to the side and not really not talked about it at all until now when we're starting to see it more on the, in the spotlight? There are some initiatives in school, like all I can speak about is my experience and what I've read up on, but my school did have some 
uh, cultural, it's more of like a cultural competency type of coursework where you try to, you know, learn more about biases or how you can diminish your discriminatory behaviors or whatever else it may be um, and try to implement those practices. They mostly teach you about recognizing those things, but there's not a lot from my experience of how to address them. Um, and again, a big part of that is like, are we even getting experience interacting with these people that we're talking about? Like we could talk right. about this stuff all the time, but like, if we're not interacting with them, how do we know how to navigate that? How can I become culturally competent if I'm not interacting with the culture I'm trying to right. be competent or proficient in? Um, so like in Omaha where Creighton is, there's a large population of Native Americans or indigenous people. And in our program, we talked quite about a bit about it. And we have one clinic that does pro bono care that you can kind of go and do some time at, in which I did do some volunteer work at when I was there. But our program had it so ingrained that they kind of missed the bill on it. And mm. I want to give you an example. Okay. In school for PT, you do basically skill checks. Like every semester, you go over the skills that you learn during that semester so that you can make sure that you're doing it right and that you can kind of take that next level up. And they do these based off of kind of like case studies. So you'll have a person, they'll get their like little history, what they're going through. You'll have Bob and he's 45 and he has knee pain. You'll have Cindy and she's 36 and she has a shoulder injury. And then this is like not even joking. They said, you have Little Thunder, that was the name of the person. And they explicitly stated he's a Native American and he had blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and I was like, like I, I understood what they were trying to do, but they right. missed the bill so hard yeah. because it's like, there's Native Americans that are named Bob too. Like why, yeah. why, why do we have to swing the pendulum so far? Right. Cause we're trying to overcompensate for right. a clear lack of our, our, our program's own proficiency in culture. Mm. Like that that's way too far in the direction where you're, you're trying to go that you just fell off the edge. So there's definitely a lot of work that needs to be done. And a big part is, in these universities, they need to have people of color leading programs, leading classes, leading courses. I had zero people of color that were teaching me that I can see as an example of what I was trying to become or what I was trying to achieve or to give me a different perspective. Even if I'm a white person and I see a black teacher um, then I can have an example of somebody that I'm trying to learn more about. And I'm going to take that back. I have one, I had one AAPI teacher. She's Asian American Pacific Islander heritage. That was the only one. And we had some experience with her. So I want to give her credit, but right. um, when you don't have that, like that compared to the other, I don't know, 25 staff members, like that's not enough. So like we need to prove representation within that group we need to expand our experiences for our students so that they can actually see what's going on and you could see this actual bias come or reduce in medical students because they'll test them at the beginning first year and they'll put them through some of these purposeful experiences and that bias will go down like mm. that it it works simply that easily like you want right. to educate them and everything but giving people experience is a, a yep. huge huge deal 
Yeah, absolutely. Let's um let let's change topics a little bit because I want to get to this wonderful organization that you have. Not only are you, you know, trying to do great stuff in physical therapy and health disparities, but you're trying to change kids' lives, man, with with Project Onyx. Can you talk to us a little bit about uh Project Onyx, how it started and um yeah. where where do you see it going? Yeah, I got I got my Project Onyx t-shirt on. Got Always positive energy. Yeah, they're on sale right them. now. You <laughs> could check them on our on uh I think it, it might be on our Instagram. You could find a link. Mm-hmm. Um I'll make sure that it's in there now that this is reminding me. But uh it all went back to last year around the same time. Um I researched everything about health disparities, everything that was going on in my world that I needed to that I felt passionate about addressing. And then I'm kind of like an all or none type of person. Like when it came to PT, I was like, okay, I, I want to be the best. Like, so I went and got my specialization. Like I'm, I'm kind of the only therapist at my clinic. Like I wanted to be the best. I was all in. Um, and I was the same thing with this. I was like, okay, I, I know what what's happening. I know what the issue is. So I'm going to eliminate health disparities. That is the goal that I set out for myself. And I was like, okay, well, how do I bring this to the community and then expand it? Like, if I'm going to eliminate racial health disparities, this needs to be happening everywhere. Um, And obviously starting somewhere. And there is a lot of stuff going on in the CrossFit world at the same time. And for those who don't know, brief history on that is CrossFit is an organization that has created a fitness style of training that is branded under their label of CrossFit. And CrossFit as a company previously had a CEO that during the aftermath of George Floyd's murder said less than appropriate things about the whole situation, kind of comparing uh, George Floyd's murder. And he he tweeted Floyd 19 as it was like another kind of just hoaxy type of situation. And he's just really diminishing the intensity of the situation along with other incidences that kind of ex, um, that really exposed his toxic masculinity and his misogyny and all this other stuff. So CrossFit was under a lot of scrutiny because the shed light on the greater culture of CrossFit, which is largely white. Most of the people that do CrossFit come from white backgrounds and they're worldwide and they have stuff all over the world and they've showcased that in the past, but they don't showcase the people of color uh, that live in the states that do the sport as much as they they should and i think it's getting better but this definitely wasn't happening as much as it should have before so i knew of a crossfit athlete that was living nearby me um that i was like i need to get this guy on board because i care about crossfit as a methodology and i care about health and fitness and i think he's the one that can help me kind of combine the two because one way for us to change change our health is through fitness and physical activity so i literally just sent him a message on instagram i'd maybe kind of briefly chatted with him a little bit before that um but he saw my message then 10 minutes later he's like yeah come over i'm in my garage like we'll talk about it and I walked over to his garage. He was printing off Black Lives Matter shirts because he was selling them and donating money mm-hmm. um, at the time. And we had like a three-hour conversation about what I was envisioning for something that I wanted to do. And, and he was on board. He was very passionate and kind of in the same kind of limbo that I was in. And he's like, yeah, uh, I'm all in if we can help Black kids. Like that's, <laughs> that's basically what he was right. like. 
And I was like, all right, like, we'll definitely start there. We're going to start with kids and we're going to give them mentorship and we're going to give them a space where they can work out and, and we're going to help guide them through these challenging situations. Um, and that's how we started Project Onyx. That that's dope. So what's the meaning behind Project Onyx? Like what what how'd you come up with that name? So many people ask me this question. And Elijah, after we finished our conversation, the, the guy I'm talking about is Elijah Muhammad. You could look him mm. up. Um, after we had that conversation, he's like, all right, we need a name so that we can kind of just start um labeling things. We can kind of create a logo, we could do all this other stuff and really brand what we're doing. And um it, it probably took me like 10 or 20 minutes after that to come up with the name. <laughs> and I was like, you know, like what we're doing truly is a project where it's something that's going to be ongoing and that it's going to take all of us to, to achieve that it's, and to be honest, I'm not going to eliminate racism. I don't think anybody's going to get rid of it, but I think that we can treat it like something that we can continuously just take jabs at it, that we can continuously fight back to the point where it's so eradicated to down to the very few that we see exposing themselves as racist or practicing in, in racism. So um, I just saw it as like a project that it's like it's going to take the whole squad to get this done and it's going to be ongoing. And then Onyx truly was just referring to Black Onyx, the, the gemstone, as something that is high in value but uh, maybe doesn't get the notoriety that it, mm. that it deserves. And, and uh, if you look into Onyx Stones a little bit closer, there's kind of a, a cool little metaphor in there because they're composed of all colors. They, they come in all colors and, and they're composed of all colors along the spectrum. So if you're thinking about this as like an inclusive, diverse group of people that are trying to make a community that is welcoming and accepting of everybody and provides equitable care um, to those who need it, then the, the onyx stone kind of reflects that perfectly. It's, a, I think, a great metaphor uh, for what we're trying to do. So that's how we came up with Project Onyx. Yeah, that's dope. That's dope. So. It, it sounds like you got a lot of work ahead of you, but I mean, like, like you said, man, you, you can do it. It's just, it's just getting, it's getting started and you're starting with, with our black boys here in Des Moines. So that, that's perfect. You know, so yeah. Pat, you know, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. If, if anybody wanted to get to learn more about you, connect with you online, uh, support Project Onyx, where can they find you and where, where can they, where can they see you at? Yeah, me personally, uh, I mostly, if I'm doing anything, it's on Instagram. My handle's patford.dpt um, on Instagram. Mostly you're going to see photos of my daughter, Elena, and my wife, Sarah, or you're going to see Project Onyx stuff on there. Um, if you want to look at Project Onyx, you can go to Project Onyx DSM.com or you can go to Project Onyx DSM on Instagram. Uh, same thing, DSM for Des Moines. Um, and you'll see all the stuff. We have a link to our website and to our donation page on our profile. You can see all the stuff that we're up to with our youth programming that we're doing, the mentorship program that we've started doing, and some of the other projects that that we've been working into. Um, we've uh, gotten to sponsor a lot of kids to do competitions for fitness and wrestling and other things like that. We've gotten one of our young mentees to start a photography business we've gotten another kid to start some graphic imaging and he's going to do some work with some people all through these opportunities that that 
we luckily have had the great opportunity to help them assist uh, that process. So we have a lot coming down the pipeline uh, in regards to that and even more. Like like I said, this is health disparity. So uh, once we get the chance, we're going to expanding to healthcare and to helping out adults and everybody that, that needs help as soon as we can. And we're going to be expanding outside of Des Moines. So, so look out for, for what's to come. That's awesome. That's awesome. Dr. Ford. Hey man, again, thank you so much for being on. I really appreciate your time. Um, and everybody, thank you for listening to the healthy project podcast. I'll let you next time. Yeah, for sure. Thank you so much.